Hey everyone, you're listening to Changing the World and Other Circus-Related Things, Episode 3. I'm your host, Eliana Dunlap. A couple weeks ago, I attended the Serious Circus Symposium in London, which looked at how to engage with social and environmental justice issues through circus. While I was there, I met a lot of interesting people and recorded quite a lot of audio, much of which I will be sharing on this podcast over the next few months. One of the people I met was Matt Horton, who you will be hearing from today. This was a bit of an impromptu interview that we did in a stairwell, so apologies for the random background noise. Matt is working on a really, really cool project making aerial equipment out of found and recycled materials, and I will go ahead and let him explain the rest. So without further ado, Matt Horton. Hello. Hey. Can you start by just introducing yourself and telling us a bit about what you do? Okay, so uh, my name's Matt Horton. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a circus artist, circus maker, um, and my primary discipline is aerial rope. Mm -hmm. um, I have a project that I'm working on at the moment uh, mm -hmm. that I did as part of my research project for my BA in Stockholm. Um, which was about using found and recycled materials mm -hmm. in aerial circus. Okay. Um, yeah, my research centered around like how can I find and use basically trash to build my aerial equipment mm -hmm. and what aesthetic does that give and yeah. how does that alter the, uh, my equipment, my piece of equipment, mm -hmm. how does that alter my trust in my equipment. How does it alter the way that it's seen? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and how can I then use that to... Now, how can I use that to make work which challenges climate change? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. So have you actually um, successfully made equipment that you've been on? Yeah, um, I made about 11 different uh, prototype ropes mm -hmm. uh, using a lot of different methods. Um, one of them worked and that was using like literally the hardest, like hardiest materials that I could find <laughs> when I went into skips in Stockholm. Okay. Um, so it was made from copper wiring that was from building sites. Mm -hmm. It was made from old uh, rope covers mm -hmm. that had been sent back to them, the person who manufactures them mm -hmm. um, because they were torn and worn out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then industrial bin bags, so okay. industrial strength bin bags. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the only one that held me. Okay. Um, I worked a lot with rubber, um, which surprisingly balances. <laughs> <laughs> I worked a lot with um, like knitting uh, okay. plastic bags. And this sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, but they all unraveled and mm -hmm. broke and yeah, weren't usable. Gotcha. As you've been working on this, have you, like, have there been things that have surprised you about the process or like things you've learned that have kind of changed the direction you've been working in? Yeah, like when I started the research, I had an idea that I was going to, the main thing that I wanted to do was make a rope that was made out of waste plastic bags. Okay. Um, and to do that, I got inspiration from my mom, <laughs> who was cutting up plastic bags into little rings and then um, putting them together in a, like a long daisy chain mm -hmm. and then uh, crocheting mats with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought that was a really 
cool way of reusing plastic bags. Um, and then, yeah, so I did this and it absolutely and utterly failed. I spent maybe 18, 20 hours crocheting a, the cover of a rope from plastic bags and it, it just utterly failed. Mm -hmm. um, so I went back to more traditional rope making techniques. Um, I made, yeah, with old rubber tires, like bicycle tires um, and truck tires. And I made uh, one with recycled paper, mm -hmm. which was inspired by um, a guy that graduated Doc a few years before called mm -hmm. um, Alex, <laughs> Alex Bible Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and using traditional rope making techniques to, to make mm -hmm. a rope from that. Um, when I made that, I still wasn't strong. So I literally went to the hardest materials and the and the simplest method, like I plattered the hardest materials that I had mm -hmm. and that was where I got to making what I did in the end and mm -hmm. um, something that could actually support me. So although everything else had a really nice aesthetic, mm -hmm. the only thing that actually worked was when I went to absolute basics. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually really interesting. Because it's, it's like, I feel like it's very ambitious to be like, I'm gonna make my own aerial equipment out of recycled materials. And like you said, in terms of like trusting your apparatus, yeah, that's, um, yeah, it just feels very ambitious and, and really exciting that there's someone yeah. actually trying to yeah. do that. Cause I think that's really, really cool. Um, what's been the response to like this kind of project? So the, the project was shown um, in Stockholm as part of the research week that we mm -hmm. had there. This was like two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and the response that I got was that the pieces that I spent the most time and hated with a passion on <laughs> were the ones that the audience responded much more to. Oh, interesting. And the pieces, <laughs> well, it was like very polarized. It was either the ones that I'd spent the most uh, time on mm -hmm. or the ones that I'd spent the least time on. The ones in between people found really uninteresting mm -hmm. and I suppose that was because I was finding my method mm -hmm. um, and both the hardest one to make and the easiest one to make mm -hmm. uh, were finished towards the end of my research okay. uh, because the hard one took a lot a lot of time. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and then but like there's two properties that came from both of them. It's like the 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 response that I got from the crocheted plastic cover rope was that it was an in, like it was a really beautiful intricate object mm -hmm. that was really fragile and was not able to support anything. Mm -hmm. The one that I made from paper would support you, but you weren't sure you weren't sure how much. Okay. And I actually got people from the audience to to invite themselves to climb on it, hang up hang off it, uh, the circus artists that were there, mm -hmm. um, to test their trust of that equipment. Mm -hmm. And then we tested it to breaking point. Mm -hmm. And I think it took three people on it okay. in order to break the, the paper rope. Okay. Um, and yeah, the question of trust there was, was the biggest thing for the paper rope for mm -hmm. me. Then the, the crocheted one was much more about the aesthetic and how, <laughs> How sustainable is it? Yeah. Because I'm taking a piece of plastic, 
I'm cutting it up into smaller pieces of plastic. Yeah. I'm making it into something that I want to use, but it's then destroyed by using it. Yeah. So that's exactly what I'm trying to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the very, very last one was the ugliest piece of equipment that I had. Yeah. It was like a rope made of copper wire that was horrible, felt horrible to find, <laughs> and like bits of plastic hanging out, out of it because it was industrial bin bags and, yeah. and like this moldy bits of yeah. old rope <laughs> that yeah. I'd put together. But the really, the really amazing thing about that is that the material, because it had copper in it, had a memory mm -hmm. of your movements on it. Interesting. So when you would climb and when you would do figures on the rope, it would mould to your body, oh. and then as you climbed above it and continued, then the rope would hold a, a kind of a memory of the movement. It was not exactly to the shape that your body was, it would flex out a little bit, but you would get this like misshapen, oh, strange thing that was underneath you whenever, yeah. you were, whenever you were climbing on it. And then when you climbed off it, the moment that you stepped off, it was a straight line again because you'd pulled oh. it straight. That, and that was something that they were like, this really... But that's actually really cool. Cause it's it's a nice like, metaphor. Yeah, like the memory of a space or of a... Of... Yeah, of your environment. Like the memory of you in that space. Yeah. Or, oh, that's really cool, actually. So, earlier you mentioned you were um, learning more about rigging and stuff and you wanted to rate your own equipment that you were making. Is it actually possible to rate? <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Things made out of found materials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I was talking with uh, Riga this new year mm -hmm. um, when I was working on a production mm -hmm. and what I found was that as long as you can go to a certified place mm -hmm. who can rate it and give you a certificate, mm -hmm. you can rate any piece of equipment for proof of load. Mm -hmm. And there's a loophole in the law where it says if there is... Um, if there's a piece of equipment, a piece of rigging equipment, that is already made that does the job that you want it to do, mm -hmm. then you must use that piece of equipment. Interesting. If there's, a piece, if there's no piece of equipment that does the job that you want it to do, mm -hmm. then you can make the piece of equipment yourself, and mm -hmm. then you can take it to get it rated. And they'll proof of load it. So, for example, we have like a, a 1 to 10 or a 1 to 7 mm -hmm. rating, um, of safety on our equipment. Mm -hmm. So if we're gonna put um, ourselves on something, we need to make sure that it'll take like a ton of load mm -hmm. to make sure that it's not gonna break within normal yeah, usage. Yeah. Um, so for proof of load, I might be wrong here because I'm still looking into it, I'm still um, mm -hmm. going through my education in rigging, mm -hmm. um, but you can get a proof of load which they will you test it to a, a certain point Mm -hmm. And that means that the company will put um, a static load on your piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. um, they will then take the load off. They'll check to see if there have been any signs of deformation, any signs mm -hmm. of wear. Um, I've yet to do this, so I don't know how it would work okay. with the rope. Yeah. But yeah, they check for deformation and signs of wear. Mm -hmm. And if there's no signs of that, then they can give you a certificate saying that there is a proof that this piece of equipment can take a certain load. Okay. So yeah, that's what I'm trying to get towards doing. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing my rigging qualifications so that I can have more trust in every stage of this. Yeah. Like I can really, really trust every stage of my rigging. For sure. Um, so that I know that I'm doing it in a safe way. Mm -hmm. Where do you source your materials from? 
So, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a bit of a loaded question. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I basically took recycled materials from my, my local university, mm -hmm. um, which they kindly unknowingly donated during the project. Mm -hmm. um, I took from building sites a uh, cable from reels that, pe that they were throwing away. I took bicycles, inners from bike shops that were going to throw away the rubber. Mm -hmm. um, I took tyre tracks that had blown out and were in the central parting of the motorway. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I found really interesting through gathering the materials when I was in Stockholm mm -hmm. was that I came across the fact that uh, in legislative terms, a waste is commodified in Sweden, mm. like waste belongs to the government. As soon as you put something into a bin outside your own house, that's a municipality owned bin, yeah, it becomes a commodity mm. and Sweden wants more waste because mm. they recycle 99.6%. So backwards. But the thing is, they're recycling, or they, they claim to be recycling, but mm -hmm. they're actually burning their waste in order to produce p power, mm -hmm. which is a better use of the waste, arguably, than going to landfill. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It depends how you look at it. <laughs> so, yeah. but, but it means that they can claim that they, they recycle 99.6%. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the fact that it becomes illegal to then take waste and, like, reuse it, and reuse it yourself in other ways yeah it seems really strange to me it does seem really strange yeah. you're talking earlier a bit about like this idea of like um like i don't know if i'm going to really recall this correctly but like uh closed loop like material use of materials within circus yeah yeah do you like, want to talk a bit about that it might be too vague <laughs> of a prompt but do you yeah. want to talk a bit about that yeah yeah for sure um i guess it's is part of my my vision for what this project could become, mm -hmm. um, and I want to change the way that I look at the life cycle of the materials that I'm using, mm -hmm. um, because in the way that we treat materials at the moment, it's very much we have the start of life of the materials, mm -hmm. we have the use of the materials, and then we have the di like disposal of the materials. <laughs> And once we've disposed of the materials, then we feel a disconnected responsibility from it because mm -hmm. we might have responsibly disposed of them. Mm -hmm. um, but then I wanted to move in my own practice to trying to imagine the whole life cycle of a product as not as like it goes around in a circle, but that it's reinvented and reinvented. Mm -hmm. uh, and like one of the big things that comes to me is the, the whole um, that no, nothing is created or destroyed, it's just uh, ch simply change of state. And how can I apply that to the materials that I use in my life? Uh, how can I use, apply that to the materials that I use in my work? Like, it doesn't matter, like I spoke earlier about, we have to use certain rigging materials because they're made specifically for the jobs and I can't reinvent the wheel because of legislation. Like, yeah. We have to use carabiners that are rated. Mm -hmm. We have to use them that are made to a certain standard. Mm -hmm. We have to use slings that are made to a certain standard because they're the best thing for the job. Mm -hmm. And if we're doing that in circus and we have to use that anyway, then 
I think it's really important that we think about the uh, the life of that material mm -hmm. once it's condemned, mm -hmm. because a sling is another piece of plastic. Yeah. Like, so how can we then repurpose that and use it in another way? Yeah. You know, and yeah, how can we reimagine something over and over again so it continues to be useful for us in different ways? Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk to you about um, something you brought up earlier about like uh, artistic practice and life practice and yeah. like um, like how you you said something about how like your uh, artistic practice shouldn't be just on stage. Yeah. Can you yeah. tell me a bit about that? Um, I think that comes from a lot of talks that I had during university about how we approach our lives as artists and we approach our, if we can call ourselves artists. <laughs> yeah, like how, how our practice is not just what we do on stage mm -hmm. because everything that we do in our lives will, in, will inform that moment that we're on stage, mm -hmm. that we're performing. Um, so for me it's like when you're at home and you're eating your breakfast, mm -hmm. you're making your breakfast, then you're making a certain set of decisions which then inform how the rest of your day looks, which mm -hmm. then informs the way you train, mm -hmm. which then informs your practice, mm -hmm. which then informs everything mm -hmm. else in your life and mm -hmm. your work. So yes, we the the culmination of all this is that moment on stage mm -hmm. and that that brief window where we are performing where we have people looking at what we have to say and mm -hmm. we're trying to communicate something maybe in a succinct way or in the best way that we can mm -hmm. um, because that's why I got into this art is to mm -hmm. communicate mm -hmm. um, and I think everything that we do informs that moment in the end mm -hmm. so like yeah everything everything feeds into it so if we're living as an artist then we need to have our daily practices mm -hmm. as artists but also the small uh, bits of activism that we can do mm -hmm maybe a conversation with your parents about how good oat milk is. <laughs> it yeah. sounds really yeah. superfluous. It's like really, really tiny thing, but that might change the way they think. Absolutely, yeah. And then if these small, like something that Frankie said um, in the first day of, of the symposium mm -hmm. really resonated with me. And it was that we're like, there's the showman and the shaman and it's mm -hmm. the same thing mm -hmm. and uh, we have a position where we can step back and we can analyze ourselves mm -hmm. analyze society and analyze our place mm -hmm. in society because we're not in the day-to-day nine-to-five going to an office mm -hmm. and we're not stuck in in that routine like and in that way we're mm -hmm. coming from a pr privileged place mm -hmm. In another way, we're coming from a place of a lot of instability, but mm -hmm. at the same time, that causes us to question all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and like, what I got from that talk was that if you can if you can step back and you can see these things happening and you can see these uh, overarching things in society, then it's also your responsibility to comment on them. Mm -hmm and not just in your work, mm -hmm. in day-to-day -day life. Because if nobody else is taking the time to step back and look at things, mm -hmm. 
and you are taking the time to step back and look at things and you see something then then say it to somebody mm -hmm. because it's important to communicate that mm -hmm. and as an artist we have the time to reflect on things like that we mm -hmm. spend time reflecting on things like that we spend time thinking about these things mm -hmm. so it's a responsibility not just to put that on stage but to put that in our day-to-day -day conversations our day-to-day -day lives mm -hmm. and by having these conversations it's like small acts of rebellion yeah it's going to spread mm -hmm. and you can have a butterfly effect which will then knock on your uh, your dad's sister will come round for tea and she'll have oat milk for the first time yeah. and then she'll talk about it to the knitting circle yeah. <laughs> like I'm talking in like yeah. really silly stereotypes and about my own family yeah. but, like, <laughs> but, but like they're small acts which make tiny tiny ripples mm -hmm. that can turn into something bigger yeah. um, and I think that's like a permeating theme that we've had through the whole thing here is mm -hmm. that a small action can make a big wave mm -hmm. as long as more people get behind it yeah like we saw that with um the the evolution rebellion guys it's mm -hmm. like it started off as a tiny tiny thing yeah. and now it's huge now it's enormous so, yeah 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 that's really cool that's something that i think is also really neat about the idea of um making your own equipment out of recycled material because it's like even if you even if you make a performance piece using that equipment that isn't even if the piece itself isn't like specifically about climate change it's like yeah. that fact that it's made out of recycled materials is apparent and yeah. um that already yeah. imparts something like i think there's something really cool about like not just looking at like the the content of what you're making but like the substance of yeah the materials that are being used and what that also yeah imparts i think is really neat yeah like I think that when you walk into a circus space, when you walk into a circus show mm -hmm. and the circus equipment on stage, mm -hmm. it already means so much. Mm -hmm. Like a rope already means so many different things. A trapeze already means so much. Like it already makes a huge statement when mm -hmm. you walk into a room. Mm -hmm. it, it's like an anticipation. It's a promise. Mm -hmm. So okay, if we're, not, if we're not using traditional equipment, then m maybe it's different. If yeah. we think about what that equipment is made of, mm -hmm. then it becomes part of the sonography. And then, yeah, how can you use the sonography to, like you say, mm -hmm. inform how the show is seen mm -hmm. before you even walk on stage? Mm -hmm. I, think it's, I think it's a really, a really important thing to think about because we use equipment so much, mm -hmm. but we don't often, well, we're starting to question mm -hmm. why. Yeah. Why do we use this equipment? Yeah. What does this equipment mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's a really important place to be. Yeah, for sure. And it's also just cool because I think, like I said earlier, like making your own aerial equipment just sounds really ambitious, especially yeah. from like recycled materials. And I feel like a lot of people, when they try to think about kind of taking part in the fabrication of or repair of the mm. objects they use, they feel very intimidated by that. I think a lot of people think of like using recycled material and they think of like making a piece of art with it, yeah. but they don't think of like using it to make something really practical. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's like a cool demonstration of that. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's, it's one of the things that I, that I want to get at with that reuse doesn't need, doesn't mean that you have to use it as a craft material. Mm -hmm. 
like reuse doesn't mean that you like decorate a mug with yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it can be a, a repurposing of something that may have been a condemned material, mm -hmm. as long as you're really, really stringent mm -hmm. about how you inspect it and mm -hmm. how you use it mm -hmm. and how you test it. Mm -hmm. um, but like, by no means is it a cheap thing to do. Mm -hmm. But then it's the like, it sounds like yeah. a bit counterintuitive mm -hmm. because you're like, I can go out and I can find these materials. Yeah but the testing is the thing that's really going to to test a piece of material mm -hmm. is a lot more expensive than just to buy the piece of material yeah so it's not cost effective <laughs> in in that way but yeah. it means that you get a certificate that you can use it mm -hmm. but like are we here to be cost effective yeah so but i think i mean hopefully you know if that becomes a thing that more people do then it can be hopefully that can open channels for it to become a more cost effective yeah Thing. Yeah. You know, I feel like when I feel like the first people to try something always, you know, pay the yeah. biggest price, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, to do it. Um, but you like need that wave to start. Yeah, and I mean, it's not a new concept, or like it's not. I haven't found people making stuff from recycled materials, mm -hmm. but it's a, not a new concept at all in circus to make your own equipment and get For it tested. Sure. Yeah. So, I think that yes, I'm approaching it from a place where I'm trying to find things on the street. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to educate myself to a point where I can do it safely mm -hmm. and then bring that into a show. Mm -hmm. But it's a practice that has been, like, it's integral to circus. Mm -hmm. It's been, like, people have invented their equipment for... For ages, as, yeah. As long as circus has yeah, existed. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, and I think it's something that... Yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to try and come at it, like, how can I do it in a sustainable way? Mm -hmm. What has been the response from like riggers? Does any, do people <laughs> like freak out? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, the rigger that I had in Doc uh -huh. was really, really supported. Okay, cool. Um, he uh, supported me through teaching me how he makes ropes. Mm -hmm. uh, supported me through like, okay, this is like he really got excited about mm -hmm. the concept, and I think that's one thing that really, really helped drive me forward with it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that, like, I work much better in small teams. Mm. Like, I work terribly alone, <laughs> which is why, like, this project has sat for almost a, a year and a half, two years, mm -hmm. and I've not, uh, I've not found a way to bite into it again because mm -hmm. because I've put so many roadblocks mm -hmm. in front of myself, mm -hmm. and it feels like this weekend has cleared that. But like, yeah. when I when I talk to riggers about it. The first thing I get is like, mm, no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, I, as I dive into it and talk about it more mm -hmm. and talk about how I want to educate myself, mm -hmm. I want to have constructive conversations mm -hmm. with riggers, I want to ask people who have made their own equipment, ask people who have rated their own equipment, get um, com like get contacts of companies that I can do it with. Mm -hmm. The more I delve into it and the more I explain it, the more on board they get and the more okay. excited they get. Cool. So I think that's a really nice response in that when something is grounded, then the people who are the experts, mm -hmm. like when, when something is like, I'm really passionate about it, I want to make this work, mm -hmm. I want to make this work in a safe way, which mm -hmm. is the most important thing, yeah. I want to make it done in a safe way. Um, 
then the people are there to give you the advice and they're there to help you yeah. and they're like there's a whole lot of expertise that's out there mm -hmm. but you were talking before about um, like making making practical materials and that that daunts people a little bit mm -hmm. um, I think for sure it's a journey and it's like you have to educate yourself in making but also in the education of the making mm. you gain a new value like you you mm. gain a new perspective mm -hmm. of the value of what you're making mm -hmm. you gain a new perspective on the value of rope mm -hmm. i trust my ropes a lot more mm. once i learned how they were made mm -hmm. and i'm not talking about the ones that i've made now yeah. i'm talking about the ones that i uh the ones that i buy from circus makers mm -hmm. um yeah, like I have much more trust in my equipment and I think that's, yeah, the, the, one of the big questions for me in, in doing this project is how, how can I trust mm -hmm. because so much of Ariel for me is about trust, mm -hmm. but Definitely. it's not trust with another person, it's trust with yourself, your own body and your own equipment. Mm -hmm. so. hmm. What's next for the project? Where do you want to go with it? Um, I'm collaborating with uh, Shanna Bruce. Mm -hmm. um, and she's a aerial dancer. Um, she's done a lot of harness work. Okay. Um, so now it's how do we make recycled materials into harnesses? How do we mm -hmm. make it into other forms of aerial equipment? How do mm -hmm. we push this forward um, into like materials that also are not just that one piece of equipment, but then can be transformed while on stage. Mm because bringing in this thing of like I I want to think about the materials that I use that they can change and they can have a new life mm -hmm. after the first the first one after they're used and after that that's finished how can this change and how can it develop into a new thing and mm -hmm. um, so yeah like aerial equipment that we can work on on stage mm -hmm. aerial equipment that can transform on stage mm -hmm. um, that's made from recycled and found materials mm -hmm. Um, we're looking for residency spaces, mm. we're looking for partners for the project to get in touch. Um, it would be really good to get in touch with producers that mm -hmm. can help us to really direct the work. Mm -hmm. um, we've not got into our movement research yet, we're writing an application for it, um, which will use elements of what I've made, we'll use some of the things that I've already made that I'm going to go and collect. Um, and we're going to try and make some new things, make some new experiments, try and make things that actually break on purpose. <laughs> okay. uh, um, not to use an aerial, but to use in an, in an aerial frame. Okay, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, to play with this uh, aspect of trust mm -hmm. and fear. Um, yeah, because, I mean... Yeah, I mean, to bring it forward, it's, yeah, residency spaces mm -hmm. is the, the next concrete step mm -hmm. um, and funding. Yeah. Always funding. It <laughs> <laughs> always comes down to funding. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Cool. Are there any last things you want to share? Thoughts? Whatever? Oh, God. I <laughs> know <laughs> it's a very broad, <laughs> it's a very broad prompt. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure at all. Like, thanks so much for, for, yeah, like having this talk and uh, I'm really, really glad that I came here. Yeah. Um, 
like I was introduced to it through your podcast. That's still so <laughs> funny and weird to me. <laughs> it's going to take me a few days to wrap my head around that. Yeah, so, it's, so because I don't live here, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I'm not on, in touch with mm-hmm. London. Mm-hmm. So it's really good to get to, to learn about it. And mm-hmm. then I've got so much from being here. Cool. And yeah, I've got like some fuel to go forward. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. Yeah, thank you. This has been really interesting. (laughs) Best of luck, and I can't wait to hear about where it goes. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Once again, that was Matt Horton. If you'd like to learn more about his work or get in touch with him, you can find his contact info in the show notes. This podcast is an initiative of the Circus Action Network. You can like us on Facebook, where we share more or less monthly podcast episodes, as well as articles, artist opportunities, cool projects, and other things related to social and environmental justice in the circus arts. If you are someone who is doing this kind of work, or you know someone who is doing this kind of work, or you want to be doing this kind of work, please get in touch. We want to hear from you. You can find our contact in the show notes and also on our Facebook page. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.